0: to another knock-on podcast, and this is one that I'm definitely excited about because um, I've got a great local friend here and someone that uh, I can guarantee all of you are going to recognize right away. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Bill Winkie.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Thanks, John. I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure we'll have a lot of fun here.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Um, you know, I guess just to give all the listeners a little bit of a history lesson, um, you know, years and years ago when I was uh, kind of working in the in the back dark rooms of the Matthews factory, I would at times see Bill come in to, you know, do some different projects that were related to, you know, writing and sometimes bow reviews and bow tests. And and uh, I remember at the time you were, you know, I always I was always a little bit upset that we couldn't convert you to, you know, from shooting your Hoyts. But, uh, you know, you were always adamant about, uh, you loved your Hoyts, and at the time uh, you didn't have an option for something that was as long as you needed for your draw length. And I actually, you know, even questioned you. There's no way your draw length's that long, but you do have some some monkey arms, man. you got a big wingspan. <laughs>
1: Knuckle dragger, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that was, I remember that while well. it was... Uh probably mid 90s so was that 20 years ago <laughs> uh,
0: yeah mid or,
1: mid uh, mid the second half of the 90s but uh, back then it seemed like uh, my bow selections were made for me based on who made bows that fit <laughs> and you know I had a 32 inch draw and it's dropped just a little bit since then I guess my joints have gotten you know a little bit compressed but I, I don't shoot quite as long now uh, but I was shooting 32 and 80 pounds, and I remember I remember one time, I can't remember um, who I was talking to, and they said, well, what's your kinetic energy? And uh, I converted it to, you know, calculated it, and it was like 100 and some foot pounds, and and they said, that's got to be some kind of record. And I said, well, I, I doubt that, um, because I used to shoot, when I first started uh, serious bow hunting, uh, I was shooting... Pushing 100 pounds of draw length or draw weight, 32 inch draw, with those 23.17 arrows. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I
0: think it was that could I mean, be I think the record be, actually.
1: <laughs> that might have been the record back then, but uh, no, it was pretty crazy. But anyway, that that's kind of how it started with Hoyt, and and uh, you know obviously. You know, you start to settle into a a bow company and you get to know the people and and everything sort of uh, evolves from there. But, uh, you know, I didn't have anything specifically wrong with some of the other companies. I just didn't make bows that fit me. And then I, you know, started finding all the things that I liked about Hoyt. So, uh, anyway, that's that's a little history on that.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, and I guess one thing that, uh, you know, that's really important for me is, you know, a big part of our program and a big part of, you know, what I'm trying to do with Knock On is, you know, make – make this about, you know, all archers and all brands. And, you know, certainly, um, you know, there's times where I'm going to talk more about Hoyt just because, you know, depending on the subject. Um, but I guess just to make sure the listeners out there know, you know, there's podcasts where, um, where I've got Hoyt guys or, uh, Matthews guys on here and, uh, certainly give their, give their time to talk about that too. But you know, it's, uh, I guess that leads into a really good subject, um, because I guess a couple things. One, you were saying, you know, at the time you're shooting, you know, a thirty-two inch draw and, and a you know crazy heavy arrow, and you're getting at a you know right at a, a, a hundred foot pounds. And you know, this past year or this past season, when I got my uh, my Hoyt Nitrum thirty-four. Um, it actually came in about 79 pounds, and I shoot about a 30 and a half inch draw for my hunting setup. I don't shoot a full 31 like I do for target, just because you know with clothes and a face mask and that sort of thing. I I like to have a little bit shorter draw length, or if I'm shooting out of a you know seated position. So, but that bow actually with a a 528 grain arrow. Um, is getting a hundred point three seven foot pounds, so it just goes to show you how over the years bows that we used to have, and we'd have to shoot, you know, maybe ten extra pounds or something to get, you know, or shoot an arrow that was a hundred or two hundred grains heavier to to get the same type of kinetic energy that we're getting today. And that leads into a couple good subjects, I think. One on you know what people need to be shooting for their actual weight, but also you know like this year with hoyt they just came out with their new lineup right so let's just talk about um the benefits of having a selection on models within the same category of of bows
1: well the the uh and, and something pops into my head too that maybe you can jot a note down and we'll come back to but uh and maybe it's something for another day but uh aerospeed i think is, is such a controversial subject and and uh one of my primary goals, you know, all through my bow selection uh, years, has been trying to come up with the right arrow speed, um, and that kind of fits into you know these newer bows with more energy, you know, more efficiency. You know, you're you're getting a faster arrow delivery with less draw weight, uh, maybe even less draw length, depending upon you know whether you've been overdrawing the bow. But uh, uh, so I, th- I think I think that's worth talking about too, because there's a lot of misunderstandings about arrow speed and what it can do. Uh, And I spent a lot of time thinking about it, and I'm sure you have too, but
0: anyway, let's get back. Well, let's let's actually stay on that subject, and I'll come back around to the other, because what's funny about that is um, I'm almost certain that this week's episode of our show, the Dead Center segment is about choosing the right arrow for your setup. And it is, and I think what I say is a lot of people make the mistake of selecting speed over, um, over energy. And, you know, and I talk, uh, I talk specifically about my, my beliefs as well. When I see Hoyt came out with a, you know, a new bow, say, well, a couple of years ago, the bows kind of went from that 310 mark up into the 320s. For me, I was like, great, I can shoot a 50 grain heavier arrow now. Whereas right. a lot of guys were like, oh, well, now I can get 10 or 15 more feet per second. For me, I always like to, I personally like to stay in that 280 range with as heavy of an arrow as I can get to stay there because I feel like I, I have the ability to shoot the broadest spectrum of, Broadheads and vein selections within that speed category. So I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are well, on on a, this topic.
1: I'm probably going to diverge a little bit from what you do. Um, I might not be quite as technical in in maybe my experience base is going to be a little bit different. But I've had some really really bad luck with string jumpers uh, over the last few years. Uh, not the last two years, but prior to that, I had a run of maybe three years where. Some of these target bucks, and, and you know how it is, you'll spend sometimes years uh, oh, trying yeah. to put a pattern together on one buck, and then you finally have him at 30 yards, and you got a grunt to stop him, and you put your pin where you think the arrow needs to hit, and you touch it off, and the deer drops 12 inches, and you hit him up in the back strap, and he runs off. Yeah. Um, and that happened to me a lot. Uh, and, and I wouldn't have known it, you know, uh, um, before we started filming.
0: Yeah, without clearly, the camera, yeah.
1: Oh, because it's like three or four frames. You know, every frame is a 30th of a second. And, and he just, they, it's almost like they're on a, on a like a rubber ball. Like yep. They go down and up so quick that the human eye almost can't see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's not like they're trying to duck the arrow. They're just dropping down to load their legs in order to run off because they're reacting to the sound of the shot. Um, so there's two things you can do. You can either try to make your bow so quiet that they don't react to it, or you can shoot a faster arrow. Um, which reduces the amount that they drop. Uh, so, you know, I I went back to you know, some of my other experiences thinking of some of the quietest bows I've ever shot, and I couldn't remember shooting one that was so quiet that a deer at 30 yards couldn't hear the bow go off. Um, if it's windy, you know, or if the deer is, you know, let's say 40 or 50 yards away, you might have a better chance because they don't target that sound as being right there within their danger circle. Um, but that 30-yard shot, 30 to well, maybe 40 it just seems like
0: that's uh, a danger zone for, for that's ooh. like the peak of their, yeah, I've all, I've often said to people, they're like, uh, you know, I've been, I've been in a position with the camera guy or with a guide and it's like right at like 42 yards. And they're like, why, why aren't you wanting to make that shot? And I, I tell them I would rather shoot that deer at 60 than I would at yeah. 40, because if we stop this deer right now, that deer could be facing the other way by the time my arrow gets yeah. there, even at, even at my speed. So, you right. know, I, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, I definitely feel for you with that. There's like that, that mid range zone that could be really dangerous for low percentage impact.
1: And a high, a high number of, of deer that people hit to get away. It seems like over the years you, you've talked to a lot of people and I have too, and it just seems like they're high hits. Um, and, and a lot of times they don't quite know. They think, well, maybe I, you know, got target panic or whatever it might be. They have different uh, ideas. I say, because they're not filming it, there's a certain percentage of those that the deer dropped and they just didn't see the deer move uh, because it moves so quick that their eye just plays tricks on them and all of a sudden they see the deer running off with their arrow high and they're like, oh, man, how did I do that? Um, they don't realize the deer dropped 12 inches. Um, so, anyway, coming back around to it, you know, I was always uh, – I, was, I used to be in that range, that 180 to 200, or, or I'm sorry, 280 to 300 range on arrow speed. And then after that incident, or that little run that lasted two or three years, um, I ran the numbers through and uh, and realized that, you know, for every 10 feet per second I gained, you know, at, at 30 yards, it was like a certain fraction of an inch, you know, that, that the deer was going to drop less. Maybe it was even, you know, more... Uh, 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 of a significant amount, but it was enough where I thought that, you know, adding 20 feet per second, or even 30 feet per second, was going to improve my chances of managing that that uh, string jumping, and and that's kind of that's that was sort of my motivation. I'm not getting below probably five and a half grains of arrow weight per pound of draw weight, yeah. um, so it's not like I'm getting real super light. You know, I'm still five and a half to six grains. But, uh, you know, I used to shoot probably six and a half to push in even 7 grains. Um, you know, so for the 85-pound or, you know, 80-plus-pound draw weight, I was pushing 600 grains of, of arrow weight. And I'd say now I'm probably down to about 500, um, somewhere in that neighborhood. And, and uh, you know, that's – and I, I did it primarily like we, like we just have gone through to pick up that extra speed. And there's some other benefits of it, um, as long as you can control it. And, and you know, you hit on a couple of really, you know, key points there. Um, you know, being able to experiment with a wide range of veins and broadheads. Well, I just find the stuff that flies well at that at that speed. At your speed. I never, yeah, I never change. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And, and, well, and, and, and a lot so, of I mean, people I, do that. Yeah, and it's just mechanical broadheads, basically, and, and the least amount of exposed blade surface in flight That gets you as close to a field point as you can possibly get. And you think, well, my bow is tuned. I don't have to worry about that stuff. Well, that's not really true either because any kind of crosswind, any kind of a rough release, you know, maybe you torque the bow and get a little snap back or something like that, you set off some arrow flight characteristics that that, uh, you haven't sighted in for. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're shooting really fast, you're going to get a lot of wind planing. And that's the the biggest downside with a fast arrow is is if you're not set up – you know, with a, a an accurate, fast arrow, um, you're better off shooting slower. Uh, but that's, you know, we could talk about that. I'm sure for the whole, you know, for the whole podcast. But that's kind of my, my criteria. And, and I don't go crazy. Like I said, I try to stay in, in a reasonable range. Uh, and then with the draw weight that I'm shooting and the draw length that I'm shooting, I'm still packing way more than enough energy to shoot through a shoulder and kill a deer.
0: Yeah, and that's one thing that I guess I would like to. I mean, we do. We definitely, you know. Uh, have two different views on this which I think is cool because obviously that's a big part of why I like having different people um you know on the show and I guess one thing that I didn't say at the beginning of the show which is critical that I do say is that you know I can tell all of you out there that honestly there there's maybe maybe a handful of people in this industry that I will engage in a conversation with that's related to, um, you know, especially technical subjects like this that I value their opinion. And, you know, I, I can honestly say that Bill is one of the people who I know has the same type of heart as I do, that he really likes to continue to try to bring education to, um, to all of his followers and to all of his readers. And that's, you know, I know that we both have the same passion uh, for educating and, you know, and we continue to change our views as well, you know, throughout our whole career. So, you know, first I yeah. want to say, I want to definitely, uh, save my hats off to all the great work that you've done for our industry. And, and I definitely value you, um, on a personal level, just, you know, on some of these things and things that I've read of yours, you know, back when I was, you know, still in my first camo jacket, you know, trying to figure this whole thing out. So, Um, I definitely value that you have that opinion. Um, and I think it's important that people realize, okay, Bill's got a 32 inch draw. So, um, one, like you said, even with a light arrow, he is still going to have, um, way above average kinetic energy, um, at point of impact. So he still has the, the option to, to shoot like a a very compact mechanical head if he wants and still, or even a larger cutting diameter mechanical because he's still going to have enough energy to push that through. Now, if you're someone that's in the, you know, 27, 28, 28 and a half inch draw range, which actually I've got a couple guys that are on my pro staff, and every single year uh, when they send their footage to me, um, it's like, They can never get penetration. I mean, it's they. No matter they, they're kind of in that weird realm of unless they're shooting, you know, seventy-five or eighty pounds. As soon as they try to shoot a little bit larger cutting diameter head or a mechanical head, their penetration is greatly reduced. So, you know, do try to factor that in when you're listening to Bill and I. Um, You know, he's obviously got something that he's that he really thinks work. Now, what I want to do. Sorry. Go ahead what i want to do is um i actually want to i'm gonna i'm gonna make a chart for you that, <laughs> that's gonna show you um how much that drop can actually you know how much speed you do need for that to really make a difference now an inch an inch can definitely be a difference on a white tail oh yeah you know yeah. I'd you know, so There's
1: a couple of them that have gotten away or I'd take that inch. Yeah, time.
0: exactly. So, you know, an inch could be, could be the difference maker. Um, you know, but I'm going to say that's going to be probably at the high end. Cause like you said, it's a, it's a three or four frame, um, you know, on a, on a, on a, you know, a 60 frame per second camera. It's a three or four frame reaction from the bottom going back up to the top. So, you know, obviously distance is going to, you know, if you're inside of say 28 yards, then that inch is going to, you know, you're going to have a little bit better, uh, better opportunity. But, um, you know, I guess, and I, I actually did some of these tests years ago. Um, and I talked about this maybe even on the last podcast because a good friend of mine, um, I don't know if, do you know, Jim Bath? Yeah. Okay. So Jim Jim is on the same wavelength as you. He really has always shot super fast bows because he he is a mature buck hunter, very specifically a mature buck hunter, and he's you know the the real mature bucks have you know reactions. You know, I I remember Jim tell me one time that he thinks a uh, a seven-year-old deer can actually jump through his own butthole to get away from an arrow, <laughs> and uh, and he could be right, you know. So he shoots a really really fast bow, and he actually turned me on to some some tests that I was doing for myself, and I talked about these in the last the last podcast about um, how a whitetail or any animal for that matter, it seems like. When the when a noise is first made, their first instinct is to locate, and and then once they've once they've kind of think that they've pinpointed that initial sound, then if there's an additional sound, it's a hundred percent reaction. So you know when we're trying to film and we're trying to communicate, you know, with a camera, a lot of times what really changes this scenario is the fact that we grunt to stop them. You know, you get their attention, and they stop, and now they're looking. So the next the next action is going to cause a reaction, whereas a lot of times if, you know, if, if you're just in a hunting situation without a camera like, you know, like back in the easy days for you and I, um, you could just, you know, maybe make the shot, and, you know, your likelihood of a reaction or a drop is going to be far, far less.
1: Well, there's, yeah, I mean, we've already – Two or three things have come up in in your last, uh, um, you know, your your last discussion there that I'd I'd like to jump into, but I'll grab the last part of of that first. Um, I never used to stop deer <laughs> when they were walking. I mean, a thirty yard walking shot's pretty tough.
0: You know, oh, I, yeah. I
1: won't say that I was taking thirty yard walking shots, but I would take twenty five yard walking shots. I, you know, I had a system, and it worked. You know, one hundred percent of the time. The deer never moved because they were walking. They can't jump the string when they're walking, you know, because it's like it's like you trying to jump with straight legs yeah. you know, or something like that. You know, they've got to do something in order to, you know, d- to be able to move. Well, they just never seem like they ever reacted when they were walking, so I would just shoot them walking. Well, I mean, it's a little bit distasteful on video. You know, people are going to jump all, all I, over I you. I agree.
0: I, I feel emails, negative emails on that subject because – you know, I still hunt for myself more than I'm hunting for the viewers. And if I have a big whitetail and he's any he, like you said, he's walking 25 yards or less, I know I can I can make my shot yeah. happen. So yeah.
1: I mean, you got a system. I've got a system. I know right where to. I know right when to trigger. Right where the pin needs to be in order to hit him in the lungs at a normal walking pace. Um, it's pretty simple, really. I mean, i'm I'm not going to dive into it because I don't want a whole bunch of people to run out there and experimenting on the next deer that walks past. So yep. um i don't I don't want to advocate it, and I think that's probably why you know we get into so much trouble with that. But I even had sponsors, you know we were putting together uh, you know just like little promotional reels for them and stuff like that, and they'd say, Well, we can't use this hunt. And you know I had a um, a major TV show that wanted to use one of our hunts, and I sent it in and they said, Well, we can't use that because the deer was hawking. and they said, we're just going to get in too much trouble. Um, so, you know, there's there's a, a definite. Uh, it's not even a misperception. Um, I, I just think that there is a a caution, put it that way, of, yep. of trying to advocate walking shots. Uh, but and I'm not trying to advocate them. I knew just where to hold, and, and, and like you too. Uh, I mean, it wasn't there wasn't any risk there on on those types of shots. The biggest risk was trying to stop them. Um, because yeah. now you've got potentially you either, either going to spook them with your grunt at close range or you're going to turn them into, you know, a potential string
0: jumper. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You will turn them into a spring a hundred percent. You will turn them into a string jumper if you yep, stop them.
1: Yep. Okay. Now I'm going to jump to two other things real quick and then I'll let you, you run again. But the, uh, um, one thing I noticed on string jumping was I will get the string jumping reaction. Um, a higher percentage of the t- higher percentage of the time on does than I do on bucks in a relaxed state. I rarely have a doe in a relaxed state that doesn't jump, um, and and it's the darnest thing. I mean, obviously, you know I've shot tons and tons of them, but I'm sure you have too. You know, when you own your own land and and you know you've got you've got certain numbers that you have to kill in order to keep them from cleaning out your cash rent farmers or eating all your food plots in October or whatever. Yeah, you know, you've got to balance things. So I shot a lot of does, and uh, I've seen. I've seen crazy stuff, and it's so unpredictable. Uh, I remember shooting a number of them where at 40 yards I'd line up, not grunting. They're standing out in the food plot feeding. I shoot. They're gone. I don't hit them high. They're not there anymore. <laughs> you know. And then the arrow hits the ground, and they run off like 10 yards. And they look around, and then they come walking back again to, to see what happened. And I tried the shot again, and I don't change my point of aim. I aim for the you know low vital. And they don't move. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how are you going to win this game? Yeah. So the only way you win is be willing to to have some get away by missing them by by aiming low. So, you know, now my formula is I just aim low all the time. Um, and, and you're going to have some that don't jump, and, and yep. you're going to miss, and you're going to miss them. So that's just part of the the nature of the beast, uh, I guess. Is is uh, you know they're they're you don't know you don't know what they're going to do. So all you can do is plan for the worst and if the worst is that they jump um so you plan for that and if they don't jump then you, you miss them low um and sometimes you know if it's windy or you've got other conditions you know the like camouflage the sound of the bow um it's not as critical but but i know i've tried that too you know we're on on 50 yard shots which i don't take very many of and i'm sure you don't either but on 50 yard shots you don't have nearly as much of an issue even on still days uh is mm-hmm. what you do at 30 yards
0: oh yeah yeah absolutely
1: yeah, yeah, and then uh, one last thing, real quick. Then I'm, I'll throw it back to you. But um, when I'm setting up, because of some of the advantages that I've got with the heavier draw weight and the and the longer draw length, I try to set up my equipment so that if I hit the deer in the shoulder, I'm I'm going to get two lungs and kill it. Um, so I'm on a little bit the extreme end. Everybody says, well, why do you shoot that heavy? Um, and my answer is because I can. And and the upside is. Um, You know, I gear myself with small broadheads, small diameter, small cutting diameter heads, and, you know, typically smaller diameter arrows. You know, I really gear up for penetration when everybody thinks, you know, you've got plenty of energy. Well, I've got plenty of energy for a a soft tissue hit, but I'm aiming for a spot that's only three or four inches away from, you know, the heaviest bone structure on the whole animal. Um, You know, that's not a very far ways away. You know, three or four inches, I can pull an arrow that far. Oh, yeah. So... Because I have the option, I'm going to set up for my equipment where I can actually kill that deer if I hit him in the shoulder. And uh, I've had uh, a few opportunities where that actually paid off for me, where I've shot him right through the shoulder and and had no trouble at all They just run near other little 70 yards and pile up. So um, that's part of the reason why you know, we're talking about broadheads and I talk about the small cutting diameter, you know, compact mechanicals. Um, I want the penetration. Um, even though you think I might have too much based on you know, the pure kinetic energy. Um, I still say, you can't have too much if you're getting yep. them on the shoulder.
0: Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that, and that's, and I think that's really where I was trying to go with, with this dead center segment that I know that I'm talking when because a lot of people that don't have the type of, you know, the type of energy that we do. With a thirty-one plus draw length, or if we're not going to kill him, if they hit him in the shoulder anyway, yeah, it's um, there's no point in even trying. Yeah, you need to have that, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of people see these these heads nowadays that have a lot of blades on them, you know, um, multiple blades or blades that, um, you know, like a bone crusher tip with you know with the with a blade that's you know relatively flat when it's fully open and not and it's almost too big of a cutting diameter, you just struggle with penetration. That's the reality and and I think that gets more people in trouble than trying to to choose something that's you know that has better penetration period and and a lot of my setups are that way a hundred percent
1: yeah, I'm gonna ask you a question on that and and i I'm kind of leading you a little bit, but um, we'll, we'll kind of, you know, put it out there for the listener, but the, uh, um, if you, you know, if you're going to hit them in the soft tissue, which is bigger, you know, a large cut or a small cut, Let, let's say you're going to shoot them in the paunch. Yep. You know, which one's better? Well, the big cut.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah.
1: You do more damage. You get that, you know, that septic shock comes in quicker. The deer doesn't live as long, doesn't go as far. Um, but if you're going to shoot them in 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 the more firm you know whether it's the you know shooting downward from the you know a sharp tree standing or whatever it might be or catch a piece of the shoulder, you're better off having you know a smaller head with greater penetration. Now, the smaller head with greater penetration will kill that deer if you shoot them in the paunch. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're not going to die, but you're probably not going to kill that deer with a really large cutting diameter broadhead if you hit him in the shoulder or someplace with the you know more solid tissue like a heavy bone or a heavy muscle structure or something like that um so that's kind of what you know i keep coming back to and i know the trend is toward these great big giant cutting diameter heads but uh i guess i i would tell people to be you know sure that it makes sense for you and don't just be swept along by the marketing um you know because you want to know that whatever situation you're in you've given yourself the best opportunity to make a clean kill yep. um, and and the broadhead does more on that end of it than anything else you do i mean you can kill a deer clean with any arrow and any bow but in certain situations a certain type of broadhead is going to be better than another
0: oh yeah that's what's hard is picking and choosing um you know i i know that for for many years i shot shuttle t-locks and i i just i love the devastation of them and and uh, I called them shoulder folders because yep. I actually started shooting them immediately after I got back from Africa f- for my first time. Because the very first animal I shot in Africa, I shot like, you know, maybe an inch or so behind the shoulder. And I was like, oh man, that is smoked. And I remember my buddy that I was with. Uh, who's a Hoyt distributor back there? He looked at me. He's like, I don't know if we're gonna find that animal. And I'm like, what? And he said, Yeah, that's that's far back. You really need to to be within the golden triangle. They called it, you know. And that's and that's where that uh, you know where you have the elbow knuckle, you know, that goes forward to where it attaches to the scapula, and then the scapula kind of the scapula blade comes up, and right in the middle, of that's what they call the golden triangle and they kind of gave me an anatomy lesson there and on a lot of animals it seems like those vitals are they're they're tucked more forward to where they have better protection there and you see that a lot on hogs too if you shoot a mm-hmm. hog behind the shoulder sometimes you can get into a really really long day Whereas, yeah. you know I just got into the point of um when I shooted shot you know those those uh, shuttle tees I started calling them shoulder folders cuz I would literally walk my pin straight up the leg and as soon as I was, you know, a third up, that's where I would make my shot and I would literally try to pin both their arms together. And yeah. and I had, you know, very, very, very short track jobs with that. And, you know, it's you're probably like me, every year come hunting season, you know, your phone you start getting texts and, you know, you get get a text or picture of a buddy who shot a a deer and he kind of gives you a screenshot and he says, do you think I'm going to get him?" You know, and, and you kind of, and a lot of times when you see that it's, it's either too far back or too far forward, right? That's, it's kind of one of those two scenarios. So then obviously the next question is which head were you using? Right. If they say, if they tell you, you know, I was shooting a a rage and it was back in the pond, you're like, well, that's the perfect arrow, perfect broadhead for what, where you shot it. But if all of a sudden there's one that's forward, you know, you'd be way better off with them telling yeah. you a different broadhead where you know that they would have a lot better penetration, you know, option. And,
1: and I always get that question is what which is the best broadhead for me, and my, my facetious answer is tell me where you're going to hit them first.
0: <laughs> that's a good so, answer.
1: I'll tell you the best broadhead because – and that's why I go conservative because I feel like even if I – even if I hit him in the soft tissue, the paunch or the liver, you I know, mean, the liver a pretty quick kill, regardless. But you get back in the paunch, and you want to do as much damage as you can to get that deer on the ground quick. But uh, I'm going to get him on the ground fairly quick anyway with a smaller, more conservative head. So that was sort of where I arrived at that. Um, you know, was I, I didn't seem like I had <clears throat> excuse me didn't have as many negative sides to the trade-off in the broadhead question as if I went big. Yes, I've shot deer where I wish I had a giant broadhead, um, but I've also shot a number of them, where I'm glad I was shooting a smaller
0: one. Yeah, yeah, it's a, uh, it's definitely you know if you knew exactly where you're going to hit them, man, you would have you'd be able to just go through this huge menu of cool broadheads that are on the market to say you know actually that broadhead is really cool, but that's the only place I would want that to shoot you know to be able to to be able to shoot them. But yeah. uh, well, that was cool that we kind of got on that arrow subject, and, and I and honestly, I think we can. You know, there's all we could almost do a whole podcast on that because I've I have a belief too when it comes to selecting. You know, a lot of people ask about deer reacting to the string, and one thing that I've been able to notice too, um, and one thing that I'm thankful of because honestly, I've I've filmed myself. You know, for. 25 years, I've literally filmed myself way before, it. you know, people were even doing it. You know, I just, I always wanted to be able to, to watch it myself. And one thing that I've learned, especially with the cameras now that are filming at a, at a, an HD quality and also at a higher frame rate is you can really start seeing a lot of things that animals are doing during the time of aerosight. and You know, on some things out west, you know, especially like an antelope, I've had times where, you know, you have to make a longer shot and the bow goes off. And in slow motion, you can see that the animal turns and looks to the direction of the sound. But then I can see their eyes actually look up and try to pinpoint that sound coming through the air. And that was, and that was, um, it was actually at a time, probably about six or seven years ago when some of the really, really high profile veins started becoming popular. And it was then that I realized, um, and also I was shooting a broadhead at the time, to be honest with you, that had quite a bit of surface area. So, um, it had more of an open cut on the, you know, on the, on the blade design, I try not to mention names if it's in relation to a negative type subject, but, you know, the the blades were cut out, and then I had a real high profile. So it was an arrow that was really apt for making some noise. And the animals reacted more at the longer shots, I think, to the arrow actually whistling through the air than the sound of the bow. So I kind of really started focusing on... You know, I went back to what I've always really liked to shoot, and that's a a longer, low-profile vein. And I, I, you know, every year when veins come out, I like to to fletch up arrows with um, a bunch of different veins on there. And, you know, we always kind of set up a little thing here at the house where I'll have some good friends over and someone will just shoot. You know, we'll we'll put a few people on the picnic table about halfway, you know, obviously safely out of the way. Uh, but about halfway between the the bow and the target, and make some longer shots just so that they can hear stuff going by and just kind of say which arrow was louder, one, two, or three you know and there's and when you're trying different broadheads or different veins that are on the market, you're gonna find ones that certainly are different in sound, and if you're someone especially a western hunter who's more apt for a longer range shot, this is something that you should really factor in, I think.
1: Yeah, big time. And I think with the, you know, obviously with the white tail hunting, um, I think it's the actual sound of the bow that gets them. But uh, I can understand where once you're outside of that, like we were talking about, that danger zone to the animal, you know, and I don't know exactly what that distance is, and say it's 50 yards uh, or 45 yards, whatever it might be, uh, that uh, they're not necessarily going to drop and run just because they heard something go click 60 yards away. Yep. Um, or go thump or whatever, but that, you know, ripping toward them <laughs> through the air. <laughs> yeah. That might not be such a pleasant thing to have, you know, heading in your direction. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, and we've done it too, where we actually, to do it safely, a simple way is to um, have somebody stand behind the corner of a building.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's what we do past- here.
1: Yeah, shoot past the corner of the building, and obviously you want to give yourself plenty of room when you're shooting past the corner of the building that there's no chance that even the person steps out, you're going to hit them, but that way they get a good chance to hear it at maybe, you know, 15 or 20 feet away as it's going by.
0: Um, Yeah, and you can definitely tell a difference, too. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, they're they're a lot louder than what you think.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Arrows are, they're a lot louder than what people think.
0: Yep. Um, So so Um, what
1: vein, can you say which vein that you like?
0: Yeah, uh, to be honest, the the quietest veins, um, some of the quietest that I've tested, I really like the, um, I personally shoot a 260 Elite vein. They've kind of been out forever, and, and I really like that vein. Um, and I also like the 3-inch um, the Flex Fletch is a really quiet vein, but... They're a pain in the butt to get to, you know, you kind of have to have all day to fletch a dozen arrows with those. So I kind of just take the easy way out and go with, you know, go with something where I can just use some super glue on it and, and get it out of the way. So, you know, I've, I've tried a lot of other ones, and I know a lot of people were trending towards, you know, shooting... Like a one eight seven, you know, shield vane, but shoot like a four fletch version. And I've tried a lot of different four fletch convert, you know, versions, and they certainly do have a great ability to steer. But they, every time you add a blain a a vein, you're adding a lot of noise. It adds up really, really quick. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I think the, and uh, uh, my experience has been I like the, the you know, three inch and, and longer. I used to shoot 4-inch for a long time, and I I never had any problem with, you know, shooting too slow or anything like no, that. I mean, no, if, no, no. You, you as long as you're not shooting the super small diameter arrows, if you're shooting yeah. the really small diameter arrows with a helical, you probably have to go with a fairly short fletching just because it, it's going to wrap too far around the shaft.
0: And that's really um, a lot of the reasons why I stick with that with a 3-inch is simply because, you know, if I shoot an injection or if I shoot a smaller micro-diameter, you know, it gets hard to put any type of an offset on them and still keep that shoe on the shaft itself, you know.
1: All right, yeah. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. Now, quick question for you, and uh, uh, I suspect we have not done enough service to this whole string jumping thing, because I still say it's the number one reason why bow hunters uh, make bad hits, uh, because the, they just didn't realize that the deer moved, and, they've got fifteen different questions in their head, but, this, but the real answer is all you know, the deer moved uh, but so what do you do what's been your experience because um, i'm i'm truly open minded and and want to solve the, the riddle uh, i've got my solution, which is you know unfortunately it only works most of the time, but not all the time. Uh, what do you do and what's been your experience with jumpers
0: well i mean it's a <laughs> I didn't really want to admit this. I had contemplated it when you said it, but I'm going to just tell the whole world this. So on this, the big the big um, segment for this year on our show is a segment that we call Knocked and Ready to Rock, and it's where the very first segment of the show, um, I take a brand-new Hoyt out of the box, and by the, by the last episode of this season, you're going to have a bow completely built um, that you're ready to shoot. And that's broken down into all the episodes of of this whole season, which is going to allow people to, you know, hopefully get a better education on building their own bows. But my whole thing that I've said on this was at the end of the show, I plan to kill a big buck with this bow, right? So what is kind of the real bummer here is I built that bow and I had it ready for the late season. And The late season I was hunting and a buck came out that I had, I had convinced myself I was going to shoot and he came out at like 25 yards and I started to really for the first time have a look at him outside of a trail camera photo. So I was really looking at him thinking, I just don't think that he is what I thought he was on the pictures. You know, I hadn't really ever got to see him on the hoof and I started thinking maybe he's not as old as I thought he was and you know a lot of times if their bodies are a little smaller you know the racks look bigger in the picture so I actually elected to pass this deer and this deer was at like 15 yards for like 30 minutes on film and I was in a a redneck blind the green blind it was actually the first time I ever hunted out of one of the big green blinds Mm -hmm. and then about 20 minutes before dark, I look over to the side and I'm like, Holy cow! And out of the standing corn steps this buck that I've been trying to shoot for almost four years, one that I call Hightower. And he's just this real big eight with you know, like a 16 inch G2 and a 14 inch G2 on the other side, really, really good brows. probably 160 inch eight point but a very mature deer for my place so i was like worked up like i need to shoot this deer well he comes in and is at 23 yards quartering away so i draw back and i start to i have my pins on him, but i realized I could see. I knew I could see a lot of my pins on there, but I wasn't able to really know exactly which pin I was looking at. It was kind of right at that time where inside of a blind it gets a little bit dark. Yeah, so so it's
1: it's nice then. It's nice then if you have a lighted. Well, legal in Iowa. Yeah, exactly.
0: So then I let down, and I turn my light on. I draw back, and by the time I had let down, I kind of made a couple little clicks, you know, and. And I he had kind of raised his head and looked around so now I'm thinking he's a string jumper now. I've alerted him. so I drew back and he kind of made a couple little dips you know as you know deer are really nervous in the late season anyway it's like one deer coughs and the field just evacuates you know so I put my 20 yard pin I put it right on his heart and then I literally came right down to the bottom of the V. And I'm like, okay, he's going to fall right into this. And I made a great shot. (laughs) And he ran off, and I thought, oh, I mean, it was a green knock, and I thought, he's done. And he went up to the top of the hill and just stood there and looked around and looked around and looked around and walked off. And I thought, well, I I know I've hit him through the bottom of the heart. So obviously I, I get on my camera and play it back. And I'm going frame by frame and realized I literally, the deer never moved a single inch. And I literally Mm -hmm. shot like three hairs from right in between his legs. So Mm -hmm. the reality is the bow that I built for the, (laughs) to be totally ready, (laughs) I missed my first deer in a long time Mm with, um, but it was because i was trying you know i did exactly what you were saying with the does. i was trying to predict that he was going to do that and the reality and what stinks is you just really can't predict it you know you don't
1: you don't know and that's the that's the thing you try to come up with a formula where you're never going to have one get away
0: yeah and, you, and that and formula
1: it, doesn't exist
0: it it doesn't so nope. from from the aspect of you know going back to okay let's 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 aim at the bottom of the kill zone and and have the full height of the kill zone as margin of error. So, uh, and I had actually aimed, um, I had aimed just under the deer. I did not put my pin on the, you know, I put my pin at the bottom of this deer and that's exactly where my, where it was because the deer never moved i mean if he would have even flinched he he would have he would have had a a bottom of the vital shot but when it comes to to string jumping from the math that i had seen in the past and it's been a long time since because the last time i was on this subject i was actually on this subject with with jim bath and um I actually did some math then because we had um, we had Gary Simons at at the factory back then. I don't know if you knew Gary back when he even yeah. worked with Fred Bear and stuff. So I was mm-hmm. I actually took him the maths and said, "How fast does an arrow really need to go for at twenty five yards or thirty yards to make a difference?" Um, and I ha- I actually have someone now that I know will give us a table for this that will give us a hundred percent solid evidence i'll actually i'm going to ask james park to do this for us and i and we'll get we'll get a true research done on it but well, the, um, the
1: challenge here, here's the biggest problem with it. i've done the numbers too the numbers aren't that complicated um the, the real challenge is trying to figure out what is the reaction time of the deer
0: yeah oh yeah you'd have to figure out what does the what does the average deer move and i i mean yeah i've seen some move this year on our season of the show, I've seen some move as much as maybe twelve inches.
1: Well, I mean, I mean, when? How long from the sound until they initiate the drop? Uh, because when you th- try to figure out using the numbers, trying to figure out how far they're going to drop, you have to know how far the arrow is gone before they start to initiate, before gravity sets in, and then you can figure out how far they drop.
0: Well, um, I, I think I think it. I've had I've definitely had deer that. Inside of twenty five yards, can yeah. can react, you know, and that's with a bow shooting. You know, I shoot around two eighty 280 to two eighty five is what, or two eighty five to two ninety is about what I shoot. Actually, this year's bows two ninety two, and I have a deer this year that that drops almost probably eleven. Probably I'd say eleven inches, even at that distance. So I mean that you know you're talking your margin of error went from. Uh, you know I if if I was aiming center it went from a five inch margin to you know now it's 10 inches so right. can you still maintain that five inches at that you know even at that thing and I know back when we figured it out I thought you really had to have a bow that was shooting over 350 feet per second to actually start to see mm, big advantages I mean, I to can, it
1: I can show you the, the what I came up with but what I did to come up with the reaction time is I took the videos from all these deer that were stream jumpers, and you just count the clicks. You know, you count the frames, and, uh, you know, you know that every frame, we, we were shooting, you know, 30 frames per second, so you know every frame is a 30th of a second, so you'd hear the bow go off. You know, you're doing it, you know, you can even see it. You know, when yeah. you're looking at it on the, on the editing software, you can even see the sound impulse. You start clicking from there, frames, click, 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 until the deer starts to move just starts, you know, like maybe it's just the tiniest little, you know, bend of the knee, excuse me, and that will tell you um, how long it takes, at least for that deer. <laughs> yeah. You know, not all of them, but to at least decide that To
0: decide to start to be a ninja, yeah.
1: Right. So then you can figure from there, okay, I know that if my arrow is, is uh, or, or, or during this amount of time, my arrow's traveled this far, so I know it's going to take this much longer for it to go the rest of the way, and he's going to be dropping based on gravity. Let's assume that he's just pulling his legs up. Yep. He's just falling at the rate of gravity, and uh, I can tell you how far then on different arrow speeds um, he goes, and and uh, depending upon that reaction time, that has a big bearing on how much impact different arrow speeds make on how far that deer drops. So, I mean, it's it's a uh, I don't know. I I don't want to make it sound like it's some kind of crazy weird science, but um, you can figure it out as yeah, long as you know. Yep. How long it takes the deer to react
0: <laughs> there's just so many unknowns though like you said that's the thing you know you have a 300 pound deer that picks his legs off the ground it's different than you got a 180 pound deer that picks his legs off the ground or you know some of them might react at 10 frames in and some of them might react at 15 frames in that's right what so it's, how at, much at the of end the day, variance do you see for you know do, have you figured out an average of of Bow Bo goes off to where the average yep. actually will then start to make their reaction.
1: What we I've, I figured it uh, I can't remember that number. I'm sure I could pull it up from some of my work because I wrote about this uh, a couple different times and tried to be as scientific as I could. But the uh, but what I did from a real practical standpoint in order to help the guys that are watching our shows, you know, they're not going to want to hear all these seconds and all this stuff. They want to know how far away is the deer before he starts to react. You know, so I'm, I'm trying to equate it to, you know, knowing my arrow speed and the number of clicks, you know, how far away is that deer, uh, basically, or how far away is the arrow, let's say. From the deer. So my arrow is deer. about 20 yards away, the deer is starting to react. And I'm yeah. shooting, you know, somewhat over 300 feet per second. So for me, any deer under 20 is not a potential string, string dropper or, or string jumper. So they've got to be 20 plus. And then obviously they're going to drop increasingly more because they have more time for gravity to take its effect, up to a certain point. And then what you get is they hit the bottom and they start coming back up.
0: Oh yeah. And, and
1: you know at a certain distance they've already bottomed out and they're coming back up by the time the arrow gets there. Um, so it's too much. It's too much to process. So I tell everybody is is uh, keep it simple. You know, twenty yards and in for most people, aim you know aim lower third of the kill. You know, you're going to yeah. be in the in the sweet spot you know 20 yards and over aim increasingly low and then you know everybody's got their own threshold i tell people 40 yards you know you're you're done on on any kind of a deer that's the least bit alert Uh, so 40 yards is kind of at least this is my formula for the average person this is your maximum range it has nothing to do with how far you can shoot on the on the targets Uh, it has to do with what's going to happen with the deer and at 40 yards if the deer is alert you're several inches under his his brisket um, with your aim point uh you, you can't be on the deer you know at 30 yards I always figure you're right above the brisket line kind of like where you were talking about where you're aiming at the bottom of the heart um and you've got a pretty good chance of being in the top of the kill if, if he drops and if he doesn't drop you know you're going to be in the bottom of the heart you know, on a 30-yard shot, and and sometimes, you know, I mean, different deer in the south, they're quicker. The deer that we hunt here in the Midwest are slower, you know. I'd, yeah, you go to it, Texas, of,
0: and they're, they're yeah. They're oh, a, they're coiled springs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah, so, you know, it's it's a really hard discussion, and, and it's really hard to come up with some really solid, uh, fast conclusions for people that they can walk away with and say, okay, I'm always going to do it this way. So what you try to do is come up with a conservative approach, um, and, and that's kind of where I ended up. And, you know, it's frustrating because every once in a while they aren't going to drop. Um, yeah. But you're better off having done what you did in the name for center long and had the deer drop, and now you hit him up in the no-man's land or you poked him up in the, bris- or the top of the back strap or something like that. I mean, yeah, it's frustrating because you really felt like you should have killed that deer that you've been after for so long. But oh, yeah. You know, you're, you're better off for having done it conservatively than having done it, you know, hoping that he doesn't move and then have him move.
0: Yep. Yeah, I agree. And the thing is, too, you know, I, I think what everyone needs to get out of this, because there is a lot of unknowns. But what's important is that people realize that as hunters, these are things that, Only the people who have made a lot of mistakes on these subjects are the ones that really start to try to factor in other things that maybe the average guy doesn't think about. You know, um, because the field that I was hunting had already cleared out two or three times just from turkeys flying up and, you know, a couple deer get nervous just because the deer had already scattered several times. And I know that I had, you know, let my bow down, took my release off, put my release back on, turned a light on. uh, I really had thought because of that, okay, this deer has heard a few things that he might be questioning. And, and I think if I, if I didn't have, you know, some of the, some of the time that I've had as a hunter, you know, I would have just never even thought about that. But obviously these are things that you and I, you know, we've, we've waited years sometimes for one opportunity and then have, you know, a a completely unknown variable spoil that one opportunity. So obviously it gets you, you know, gets you thinking on a subject that's, you know, probably probably at a completely different level than the guy that just, you know, gets his bow and goes out three or four times a year. But this is super valuable. And I guess one before we um before we keep going how are you for time, Bill? I mean I uh, I
1: mean I'm I'm fine. If I don't you're have okay. Anything that have to, okay. Yeah, if you're okay
0: for time, then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go ahead and wrap up this podcast right now. We'll make this a two part series um, because, you know, obviously this isn't a scripted podcast. So we've won, we've went into some subjects that I think a lot of bow hunters are going to really enjoy. Uh, but there are still some other things that I would really like to talk with Bill about while we've got him. So we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. And, um, and I'll come right back to you, Bill, and we'll, uh, we'll pick up with a part two on this series. So uh, make sure all you guys out there uh, who only have listened to this podcast, make sure you um, check out everything Bill's doing um at his Midwest Whitetail website, a very, very dynamic website. And uh you know, I guess I'll let you say bye to everybody, Bill, but then just hang on and we'll we'll start right back up.
1: Okay. Yeah, my pleasure and, and uh I appreciate you joining us and uh hopefully we can come back with some more on the next podcast here that'll help you out to become a better bow hunter.
0: All right, thanks everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com